You know, this, uh, this past week, I had some bad news. I went mushroom hunting with my younger brother. And if you go mushroom hunting with my younger brother, expect to spend hours checking every known location that he found them last year. And we had already got up pretty early to go turkey hunting that morning, and then we mushroom hunted from about 2 o'clock till about 6.30, up and down hills, and finally I just said, that's it, I'm done, I'm going to go sit in the buggy. My brother found a few more. Matter of fact, I think he found two gallons, or about a gallon that day, to my three mushrooms. But I came home that night, and I, I jumped in the shower, and, you know, and I put my clothes in, in the washing machine because of the potential for these little things called ticks. I'd, I'd wore some clothing that was supposed to keep them from getting on your body. <laughs> Let's just say that Wednesday morning, my wife, she exercised her vows. She, she entered into the for better and the for worse. For during the shower, I started to notice some itching. I know, everybody's kind of going, mm. well, Julie was too. When, when I got out of the shower, I just said, I think there are some ticks on me in places I can't see. <laughs> that was bad news to me, but it was really bad news to Julie. <laughs> she decided, as my loving wife has way more than that time and way more serious things than ticks, to be honest, she entered my mess right there. <laughs> Uh, now, I, th I hate medical instruments, and I think of tweezers as a medical instrument. <laughs> she pulled 10 seed ticks off of me, six I could not see myself in places that she chose, would prefer not to pull ticks off of me, folks. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this woman really has entered my mess so many times in my life. How often do I enter hers? Am I willing to get into the messiness of life, whether it's seed ticks, or it's a struggle with work, or it's a relationship, or it's an addiction, or it's a struggle, just a pain, someone's in pain. Last year, my, my father-in-law passed. Did I enter into my wife's mess enough? And I, so I ask you guys, how, how likely are you to enter into someone else's mess whether it's something probably minor like some ticks or something major like a major life struggle or pain. You know, we, we as the church, collectively now and since the church began upon Jesus rising from the dead and challenging his followers then to go be in people's messes, to go and share grace and love. But collectively, we've not done a great job of this. We are not great, the church is not great at showing grace, the very thing that Jesus showed us. How about you? If you have taken that offer last week that Dan talked about, and I encourage you to go watch that if you haven't. I thought it was just an excellent overall service, just amazing the way they wrapped their thoughts around this and then hear Mark's story as well. We don't enter into one another's pain well a lot of times we receive the grace of God. We want the grace of God. We need the grace of God. We need the forgiveness. We need the healing. And we just become these little hoarders of grace. And we don't pass it on to others. 
How about you? How well do you do that? Have you ever shared or shouldered someone's mess? I want to kind of use a couple passages today to kind of bounce off of one another, show some differences in them. Let's talk first from John 8, 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, so the church leaders at the time, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Side note, how did they catch her? How long did they watch? But they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Where's the guy? Why is it only the woman? These are just my side notes, sorry. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, teacher? See, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, I'm going to paraphrase from now on. You can follow me up there if you want. Imagine these people have her out in front of Jesus. They're trying to trap him. The law of Moses says, yes, when someone's caught in adultery, you could, you should stone them to death. God, that sounds rough. Jesus stoops down and starts to draw something in the sand. And to this day, we don't know what he was writing. There's all kinds of speculations. They keep pressuring him, keep pushing him. What would you do? What are you going to do, Jesus? Trying to trap him. And he simply stands back up and he says something like this. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. What's amazing is it says the people started to leave. The oldest started to leave first. Probably because as you get older, you recognize you got your own brokenness in you more than you did when you were younger. So those folks started to say, well, I've I got sin in my life. I've, I've been a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. So they left. Jesus bends back down. He starts to write something else. And finally, he turns to the woman. He says, woman, is there, is there anyone here to condemn you? And she's like, no, no. He goes, well, then neither do I. And then he says something pretty dramatic, too. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. If you just step back from that and you look at the religious authorities of the day, was she making a mistake? Yeah. Was the guy? Yeah. But instead of saying, how can we help? How can we show you love and grace that our Savior has shown us? They immediately moved to judgment and condemnation. And they did it under the guise of saying they were trying to follow the Old Testament laws. When God says to love me, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that right there supersedes any other law. Matter of fact, it captures all of the laws. And yet Jesus has something amazing to say to them. Like, you want my grace. Well, they didn't necessarily want his at the time. You want God's grace, but you don't want to offer it to others. I really was wrestling with this this week about, like, when I do and when I don't enter into someone else's mess, a lot of times I think of myself, uh, I got these little catchy phrases maybe, as a stone thrower. If I see somebody do something, especially if I don't know them, but even if I do, that I think is stupid, dumb, idiotic, even if I just did it, I can often lob 
rocks. I can throw some stones. I'm a stone thrower. My judgment wells up in me. I went driving with my son-in-law in the car, and I thought he was going, he's like, wow, you drive kind of aggressive. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> and then I rode with him out to a sporting game, and I'm like, wow, this guy is the most peaceful young man I've ever witnessed behind the wheel, and I can't be that way. I should be that way, but I can throw some stones on the road, folks. I came across a quote, and I don't know who to attribute this to, but I'm just going to say it, and we'll figure it out later. Grace is for average sinners like us, not deviants like you. Think about that. We have the church. We have been some stone-throwing folks over the years and, and to current day. There's another one that I wrestle with, a back-turner. What I mean is I, you know, I don't have time. I'm a busy person. How many of you are busy? How many of you are lying? I mean, we, we all are busy. You know, you go to someone and say, how are you doing? Uh, you know what? I've got vast amounts of time. I'm absolutely doing nothing. I don't even know what to do. I've watched Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives for 92 hours this week. <laughs> Which I have actually watched a few. Don't get me wrong. And I can't waste vast amount of time. But the reality of it is, we, we can turn our backs because we think, well, I got enough stuff of my own. I got my own mess. I got my own stuff. I got my own junk. And I've discovered over time that it takes inconveniencing myself to get into someone else's mess. And it's so much easier to show them my back and be a back turner. And then this one, as if those weren't enough. I mean, there are guys that are in our co-ed group currently and gals and the men that are in, our, in my men's group. Um, they, they've experienced these things for me, I guarantee it. But this is the one that I probably lean and err the most. I don't know about you. I like to be a project fixer. Starts with my wife, Julie. She comes home from her work. She starts telling me about her day. And instead of just listening and going, mm -hmm, yeah, wow, that's it. Wow, well, how does that make you feel? I go, fix it mode. Well, just, just use duct tape. She works down in the preschool, sorry. But, you know, just use duct tape on the kids. Not good advice. You know, use the taser. Not good advice. She's like, you realize you would be fired day, like hour one if you were a preschool teacher? I'm like, yes, I would. <laughs> but all joking aside, I, I get into fix-it mode. I get that in my own journey, and then if I engage you often, I know, I know the people experience this for me. I, I want to fix you because I want your mess cleaned up so it's not messy because messy is chaotic. Messy is like, I don't know what to do. Messy is uncontrollable. And so we get into this, well, we can fix it. Just do this, 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 and this. You'll be good to go. I would love it if they come right back in that moment and say, well, have you done this, 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 and this? And how's it going? Can you relate to any of those? Are you a stone thrower, a back turner? Are you a project fixer? Let's take another look at another passage here from Mark. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. 
Now, now make sure you hear this next sentence. Seeing their faith, it says, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. It goes on. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking in his heart. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? But so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus returned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. If you want to really wrestle with what community can look like, and you want to explore what it's like to enter one another's messes, that's a great passage to start with. Think about his friends. They, they knew him. They knew he had a need. And they made it their own. They had heard about this person, this crazy Jesus character that was healing across the land, if you will. And they said, we are going to get our friend in front of him no matter what. Think about that for just a minute. Do you have four friends in your life that will enter the mess with you and walk with you and get you in front of Jesus? And now reverse it. Would you be on one of those corners for somebody? Now, I think as Americans or maybe as Westerners, we think, oh, what, they, they dug through shingles? No. You're talking about, I don't know, some sort of mud and sticks and straw and something, you know, that resembled some sort of tile. So it wasn't quite as dramatic as taking the sawzall and cutting up one of our roofs. But the reality is they did destroy a portion of this roof and they lowered this person in front of Jesus because they said, we must get him in front of him. We don't know what he can do. And then he blows their mind and says, your sins are forgiven. Before he says, you're healed and walk, pick up your mat and go home. So they had to be thinking, <laughs> think about it. This guy, now not only can he walk eventually at the end of the day, his sins have been forgiven, whatever those sins were. And my guess is those four guys on that corners, corners of that mat, they knew what his sins were because they were in a little community where they entered one another's messes. There's a book called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. I mean, that, I hate to say the subtitle doesn't, you don't need to sell the book as long as you just wrestle with the subtitle or the title, but it's out here. It's definitely our book for community and relationship. And John Ortberg, the author, is a phenomenal storyteller. And he, he really unpacks this whole thing about the fellowship of the mat. Jesus saw their faith. That's the power of relationship. It's the power of friends in a small community. Really, that's the power of the church that should be a force of grace since Jesus departed this earth 2,000 plus years ago. Is it? So instead of being a stone thrower or a back turner or a project fixer, can we just be mess embracers? Have you really ever just embraced someone else's mess and you didn't go at them with a long list of things you shouldn't do or should do? You just said, no, I'm going to be right here. 
I'm in it with you. That doesn't mean I want you to stay where you are, but I'm just going to sit here for a while. We're going to do life together. You're going to see some of my mess. It takes, it takes people who are willing to be vulnerable and be authentic and be humble to begin to share your own mess so that others feel the trust to share theirs with you. Can we be mess embracers? You know, the grace of God offers us that, and yet we still mess it up from time to time. But but look, the church is going to be imperfect because it's made up of imperfect people. If I could say something to all of you that I think Dan shared last week, and I want to just kind of reiterate this, is you are not alone. With whatever you're dealing with today, with whatever you're wrestling with, whatever struggle might be in your life, whatever pain is present, you are not alone. I asked the guys in uh, the men's group yesterday morning before I had to run out to go watch a, a ball game. I asked them, you know, what, what caused you to cross over that barrier that's like, I don't know if I want to get into relationships. I don't know if I want people to know my junk. I don't know if I want people in my chili. I don't know if I want people to jump into my mess. And then once you have, and those guys have, now, now what? What's it look like? A couple of them talked about they discovered that they were not alone that they were not the only ones dealing with pain and struggles. And though we may not share the exact same struggle, the exact same pain, we could relate because we were all men trying to follow Jesus together. And the same goes for the co-ed group that I happen to be in and, and my guess is for connections for lots of other people. Do you have people that you can call at 3 a.m. when you have a problem, when you have a, a struggle? Do you have anybody that's willing to carry the corner of your mat? You know, we talk a lot about connections around here, about how to take just some steps so that you can move towards Jesus. It's so hard to move towards him a lot of times on our own. I had this thought hit me this week, hiding prevents healing. For so long, in a lot of the journeys that I'm aware of for the people that I happen to be doing life with right now in the groups that I'm in, for so long, we, we want to stay in hiding. And even though our, our, our image that's made in the image of God or our portion of us that's made in the image of God, even though that wants to be known, and we really want to be loved completely, and, and you can't be loved completely unless you're completely known, the reality of it is our natural sinful tendency is to hide, is to hide, is to isolate. I know one of the guys in the group did not want to come to the group, and I kind of gave his wife a, an email back like, why? Well, he's going through a lot of stuff right now. I said, so am I. Let's do this. And now he and I happen to have a great friendship. Hiding prevents healing. But the church has to come along and say, you're not alone. We have to have some people willing to do life with one another, to guide that process. Whether we call them group leaders or just people that are willing to jump into someone else's mess, we have to be willing to do that. How do you do that? 
If somebody won't come out of hiding and move towards healing as they connect to Jesus without something in the middle here, how are we going to impact that? We can't be friends with each person in this room of 300 people online of 50 or 60 more. We just can't. And so those small connections, whether it's with a team around here or with a group outside of here, doesn't matter. Where are you relating and showing up to say, look, I will inconvenience myself. I will not be a back turner. I will not be a stone thrower. I will not be a project fixer. I will be a mess embracer. I, I, I don't think it'll be on my, my headstone, but I think that would be a wonderful thing to see on your headstone. This guy entered a lot of people's messes. Hmm. We don't put stuff like that on there very often, do we? It takes grace offered, time invested, trust developed for someone to move out of hiding. So for those of you that are struggling right now, and many of us are, you're not alone. I would ask you to continue to move towards this imperfect group of people, the church. And I would ask those imperfect group of people, the church, to be able to find ways to help those folks connect so that they realize they're not alone, so that they realize they're not the only ones with struggles and problems and issues in their life. And they realize they're not the only ones with a big old mess in their world or in their past or in their future. But they could do life with you. Where are those folks? There's a, there's a poem that some of you may have heard. Certainly you've probably heard a tagline or the, like, to walk a mile in someone's shoes, you've heard that term? Well, this poem, the actual poem that starts off, it's called Judge Softly, and they kind of paraphrase it to be walk a mile in his moccasins. This lady wrote it, Mary Lathrop wrote it in 1895. Let me just read a little bit from that poem. Pray, don't find fault with the man that limps or stumbles along the road unless you have worn the moccasins he wears or stumbled beneath the same load. There may be tears in his souls that hurt. I thought, oh my gosh. Though hidden away from view, the burden he bears placed on your back may cause you to stumble and fall too. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a little bit more though. Don't be too harsh with the man that sins or pelt him with words or stone or disdain unless you are sure you have no sins of your own and it's only wisdom and love that your heart contains. And finally, just walk a mile in his moccasins before you abuse, criticize, and accuse. If just for one hour you could find a way to see through his eyes instead of your own muse. I care. I'll, I'll make a link to that and give that link to uh, Justin to send out. What would it take for you to show grace to someone today, this week, who right now you think doesn't deserve it. My friend Jason used to have something in his auto signature on his email. It was a quote that said something like this, you can be sure you've created God in your image when he hates everyone you do. This grace that, that Jesus offers us is supposed to be revolutionary to the rest of the world. And the church collectively over time, I don't think we've done a great job at passing that on. 
we're too afraid. I know I've been a watchdog for Scripture. Like, well, wait a minute. That can't be right. It's like, wait a minute. What if I just tried to exude the very grace that I consume? I think about the grace that I consume, and at times it overwhelms me. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm here again? Yeah, yeah, you are a consumer of grace. So then if I have somebody that I've put over here that somehow I think that they are outside of God's grace, that's probably the person God wants me to look at and say, they are not beyond the grace of God. And what am I going to do about it? Will I attempt to befriend them? What if they've hurt me terribly? God says, you hurt me terribly, and yet I befriended you while you were still a sinner. For grace to, to, to move out from our lives, we have to be open to that grace transforming us on a regular basis. Jesus talks about staying in the vine, staying connected to him. I know this, when I show others grace, and I do it from time to time, that I can look back and see that, well, then I, I had spent a lot of time with my Savior and my Lord. I had spent some time connecting with him in prayer and reading his word and engaging him in our group or groups. And I'm way more open to this idea that, well, everybody on the planet, God wants to come to him. Even if I've isolated a few people over here that I think don't deserve it, he says, you didn't deserve it, and yet I did it for you. Hiding prevents healing. But for those who are hurting, who need the healing, they will not come towards the church as long as we are not showing grace. Think about that. If we put a sign on the door of this building on Sundays that said, no broken people allowed, then we better have one face on the inside too and say, well, we all probably ought to stay outside those doors. Because as grace consumers, God asks us to then pass that on. Let me read you this, one of these. Let me get my readers to read it. I want to read you the text from one of the guys that text me. He says, I think the most important thing that I've got out of this, meaning relationships, is that when I have gone through the dark places in life, I have people that are there with me. Maybe their mess is darker than mine at that moment, and it gives me perspective. Or in that moment, I can try to provide comfort or help. Maybe at that moment, my mess is large and it's good to hear how well someone else is doing. It gives my heart hope that this is just a moment and it will pass, that I will eventually be in that moment talking about how things are going great. And maybe when I can't see a way out of my mess, I have a group of people to sit with in that mess, to get down into all of it and just sit, not try to clean it up, but just be there until we can start picking up the pieces of our mess. I think it would be amazing if you would think about what next step you might be able to take in this realm. For some of you, it might be signing up for something like SCU. For some of you, it might be signing up to serve. For some of you, it might be in a group or some sort of club that you're in outside of these walls where you begin to create relationship, form relationship with people so that trust develops so that then they can trust when you are authentic and open and transparent and humble, they can go, well, I can be too. I can share that too. 
We don't ask folks day one of a group to share their greatest and darkest sins, trust me. That would be stupid. Who would come back to that? But over time, when you can sit in with someone and they can know your mess, they can know your brokenness and you can know theirs, and you can know that not just confessing it, but then giving that to Jesus, looking for the grace and forgiveness that he offers, all the while doing life with each other, walking alongside them, not only walking a mile in their shoes, but before you walk a mile in their shoes, just walk a mile with them. Because that's how you get the right to walk a mile in their shoes. You get to see what's going on in their life and you realize, wow, they're just a human like me. They're just a mess like me. I would love for us all to say this. I'm a mess. Yeah, that's not bad. Do you really believe that? Seriously, you don't have to answer out loud. Do you really believe you're a mess in need of the grace of God and that he offers it? Or is everyone else a mess and they need the grace of God but you want to withhold it? Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I, uh, when I think of, I've been watching this, this show called The Chosen, you know that, and I see the grace exuded by the character that plays Jesus, and I'm challenged. I'm often brought to tears at, at how that has personified you in ways that I didn't pick up from just reading Scripture. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the people that produce that. But then I watch as those disciples really wrestle with trying to do the right thing versus doing the good thing versus what should they do to follow you. And I just bring it right home. And I go, wow, we're still trying to figure this stuff out. The church has, quote, unquote, been on march for 2,000 years, and here we are trying to show grace, trying to realize that everybody as a mess and to remind everybody that God you will never leave them alone but you've asked the people the church to be that force that opens up those opportunities and those relationships that develops trust so that we could come home and they could too God help us to be those kind of friends Help us to be intentional about building those type of friendships that lets people know they're not alone and that we're willing to just do life with them and get right down in the mess with them and they with us. Thank you for Jesus for entering this crazy mess of a world and giving us hope because of what he did on the cross. I do pray in his name, amen.